Welcome to Arkansas AgCast, your source for the latest news and views in Arkansas agriculture. Arkansas AgCast is produced by the Arkansas Farm Bureau Federation. Welcome to Arkansas AgCast for September 17th. I'm your host, Ashley Wallace. This week, we hear how some counties are holding limited or scaled back livestock shows despite COVID-related fair and rodeo cancellations. We also learn about the Northwest Arkansas Land Trust and what it can do for farmers. And we get important mental health tips for National Suicide Prevention Month. First, Ken Moore talks to Molly Wright, Sling County Fair Association President, Megan Molden, 4-H agent for Sling County, and Chris Bolton, Cooperative Extension Staff Chair. The COVID-19 pandemic has forced county fair associations to cancel their carnivals, rodeos, and pageants, but some have been able to conduct small-scale junior livestock shows. Sling County held a one-day livestock show earlier this month in Benton, and Ken spoke to the group about how they adapted to the safety protocols in order to hold their event and reward young people for raising their animals. I'm Ken Moore, and this week, I'm at the Saline County Livestock Show. Normally this time of year we would be having the Saline County Fair and we'd be having county fairs all over the state of Arkansas but because of the COVID-19 pandemic county organizations are having to discontinue their carnivals, their pageants, their rodeos but they are allowed to have a livestock show and that's what we're having here today. Uh, in Benton uh, at the fairgrounds. We're having the Saline County Livestock Show for the young people, and I'm with three ladies here today. Molly Wright is the fair manager, president. fair president, excuse me, Molly, thank you, and uh, she's been here many years, and, and she's kind of running the show today for the young people, and, and Molly, thank you for giving us a few minutes of your time. What you're doing here in Benton today, it's a one-day event, just for, the, just for the young people, a livestock show, but it's a condensed version of what you would normally do any other year. So talk about how the pandemic has changed the way you're conducting this show, but why it is so important. Yes, sir. We This year, instead of having four or five days of shows, we're having one show in four or five hours. So you can imagine the background work we've had to do in order to get prepared for this. So it has been quite a challenge, but with good help, lots of fair association members, our extension agents, we have been able to make it possible this far. Sure. So tell me, just kind of put in perspective, the numbers you would normally have during a normal county fair and the numbers you have today. Well, as far as our participants in the Junior Livestock Show, we've got right around 30 to 35 entries this year. Normally that would be 75 to 90. So it's a a considerable amount less. As far as our fair, we'll have 60 or 70 people here today where we'd normally have on Saturday of our county fair, we'd have probably 22,000 come through. 22,000 people here at the fairground? Yes, sir. On on one day of the Saturday of the fair coming and going. So how are counties like yours here in Saline County, able to compensate. You're taking quite a loss because you don't have the carnival, you don't have the food service vendors, things of that nature, and all the other elements that go into the county fair. How are you able to compensate for that? And, and you know, co- you know you're going to still do the livestock show, but you don't generate, generate any revenue from this, do you? No, sir, we do not generate any revenue. This actually costs the fair association. We had a good year last year. We're hoping that we can make it through to next year on the basis of what we did in 2019. And as far as the kids and their prizes, we've got some really good sponsors, and those sponsors have came through this year, even during a pandemic. Um, As far as the Fair Association, we also rent our facilities, so that gives us a little bit of revenue throughout the years. Right, so hopefully the pandemic will run its course. We'll be back to normal in 2021 yes sir and maskless and maskless yes everybody's wearing a mask we're following the protocols and did you have to uh get permission to have you know how are the different county fair associations being given permission to even conduct a livestock show like this i'm sure the health department uh you know you put the protocols in place right we limited it to our leaders our volunteers, our participants, their parents, as far as attendance goes today. We knew with having 30 to 35 participants, we would have maybe top 70 to 80 people here at any given time. So we did not have to reach out to the health department and get permission because we were under the 100 threshold. So we just 
did the best we could with what we have. Well, you've done a great job today. I know the young people that did show animals were happy to do it. They're going to be rewarded here in just a few minutes. You're going to have a premium sale, and that's critical too, isn't it? Because we just heard during the judging part of the competition uh, that they're raising these animals to sell them. Yes, sir. They're raising those animals. Market animals are raised for their meat-carrying qualities. Some of our market animals are females, and so they may take those back home and raise out them for next year. But as far as a market steer, you either have a pet or you have a steak on your table. And those kids have raised those for their meat-carrying qualities, and they will sell today. So that's, that's part of it. It's part of the learning process. It helps, these, it helps these kids deal with losses in the future by losing their, you know, they kind of feel like they lose their animal at the end of the fair. But the money they gain, they actually get to finance their project for next year, so it makes them able to participate again next year and have a new best friend to show in the show. Sure. Molly, thank you very much for your time. I'm going to visit with uh, Megan Malden now, the 4-H agent for the Saline County uh Cooperative Extension Service here in Benton. And, uh, Megan, I understand you've kind of been on the job just a short time, but your role is very important. Talk about how you're trying to encourage these young people during this pandemic and, uh, and the work that's going on behind the scenes, you know, so that they can come here and show their animals today. Uh, right, Ken. So it's been an unusual year, as you already mentioned. Um, so one of the things that we're trying to do is help the kids focus on the things that are in their control, because there are a lot of things that aren't in their control this year. Um, so focusing on their attitude, we've been encouraging them since uh, since spring and all of this started to keep working on their animals, keep providing um, virtual support and virtual learning. Like um, we did a, a chicken picking workshop to help these kids pick their chickens out their best chickens and that was held over zoom because we you know normally would be able to meet in person to help them uh, with these sort of things so we've just kind of tried to be a little bit innovative and and mix it up and take things virtual to still help the kids get ready for today mm-hmm. yeah and uh, it's so important I know school's back in session now uh, some are learning from home and some are going into the classroom but so much of what you do with agriculture and vocational agriculture, you've got to do it in the classroom, don't you? You've got to go to the campus. Uh, so how are you working with the kids? Uh, I know from, you know, 4-H runs all the way from four or five years old all the way up to senior high. Right, that's correct. So a lot of it has been virtual this year. Right now we're not doing our in-school programs because a lot of schools, um, not only in the county but statewide, are limiting visitors who are allowed to come in. Um, So we've tried to supplement that with more social media outreach. Um, We've tried to, you know, use YouTube and kind of send those newsletters out and things like that. And we've just tried to use a lot of virtual programming to both recruit new kids into the program who were at home, who were feeling a void um, from not being able to have school and interact with their friends, but then also provide learning to the kids who were normally doing 4-H. So we've just been trying to take things virtual and, and, you know, one step at a time, one day at a time. (laughs) I know Saline County here, you're right here in the Little Rock metro area, and it's becoming more and more urban. Uh, But 4-H you know, involves a lot of urban children, a lot of urban young people. Uh, You don't have to live on a farm to be involved in 4-H. So talk about how strong your 4-H program is here, even though uh, Benton and Bryant and the surrounding communities are growing more and becoming more urban. Right, so um, here in Saline County, we actually have outside of our livestock club, we have other special interest clubs and community clubs that aren't just geared towards the kids who are on the farm or the kids who can raise livestock. We have um, the Bryant Science Masters Club, uh, which really kind of caters to those kids who have an interest in in STEM, uh, so science, technology, engineering, mathematics, things like that. Uh, kind of going along with STEM, we've done some drone workshops to kind of 
engage those kids who are interested in uh, in science. Um, we've done a couple of veterinary science um, workshops and uh, some virtual learning programs uh, with Dr. Heidi Ward for Extension. Um, that you know, not every kid can have a cow, but a lot of kids, you know, living in urban neighborhoods might have a dog or a cat, might have an interest in vet science. So, um, and then we also have a really large shooting sports program here in Saline County. It's that's probably our largest club, and that's both archery and uh, and firearms that um, that are involved in that. And uh, that's one of our biggest clubs, and it's really su- successful. And it doesn't have to be the rural kids that are involved with that. Right. Right. Well. Congratulations to you, Megan, and uh, best of luck as we go through. Again, I know virtual learning, we're all adapting to technology, right? Uh, so kids can, you know, they all know all about Zoom and how to communicate that way, but so much of it is the camaraderie of the clubs and, and just getting together and doing things as teams. So much of it is teamwork. So, you know, going forward, kind of what are your plans, I guess, for the end of this semester we're just kind of getting started but hard to believe we're already a month into school um yeah i think we're just still taking it day by day um i know that after this we have the state fair that's coming up soon uh we'd like to start being able to get into some and if we can't go into the classes for in-person uh programming we would still like to be able to uh maybe offer some zoom uh sessions to get into these schools and still reach some of these kids um so we're just kind of taking it as we go and um we're we're very fortunate that we have parents and kids in our communities that they are staying engaged and they're letting us know what they need and we're just trying to rise to that occasion and and give them what they ask for well thank you so much for visiting with us for a few minutes today megan and uh best of luck as you continue here in saline county all right thank you so much been talking with megan malden there the 4-h agent for Saline County Cooperative Extension, and now I'm with the staff chair, Chris Bolton. And uh, Chris, uh, again, as I just told Megan, uh, Saline County is a hybrid of sorts. Uh, you know, she just said we don't have any FFA programs here in, in your county like you do just a few counties to the south. You know, FFA is huge statewide, uh, but it's all about 4-H, isn't it, and getting these young people and keeping them involved. Well, it's about youth development. So FFA, Future Farmers, and then also the 4-H Youth Development Program. We have some 4-H members that are have dual membership. So uh, Megan comes from an FFA background, so she brings that um, understanding of the FFA culture to our 4-H program. And it's really about youth development. Of course, uh, with the University of Arkansas Division of Ag, we like the 4-H membership. But we also like to encourage if a student or a youth can have dual enrollment, learn as much as they can from the variety of programs because we all care about the youth and we want the best things for them and the best learning opportunities. No question. One thing that a lot of schools are doing now, and I didn't ask Megan about this, but you can speak to it because I know you work with your farmers and ranchers here in the county, but we really endorse and and promote school gardens. Uh, I work real close with the uh, Arkansas Department of Agriculture, and Sarah Lane leads the school garden program for the Department of Ag, but I know Extension works very closely as well. And I've worked with uh, your counterpart, for instance, over in Grant County. And they had the school garden of the year just a couple of years ago over in Sheridan at the intermediate school. So uh, talk about how maybe that's something that uh, the schools are trying to adapt, if they are, here even in an urban community like Benton and Bryan. We have a strong master gardener program here in the county also. And we have one school that is... Uh, participating in a pollinator bed garden and we have the vision and the goal of going towards more of the vegetable production and also pollinator complementary gardens but this year it's been really hard we also have a whole new staff um, Nicole Nichols is brand new from Pulaski County in our agriculture area uh, Megan is brand new from our state office coming down to the county and then I've been the family and consumer sciences agent and my role has completely changed well I mean I keep family consumer sciences, but also have administrative responsibilities. So we, even though we're dealing with COVID, we've had a whole personnel or personnel change in the county. So we are trying to find ourselves and ground ourselves and reach out in the community. And community gardens are definitely an area we're looking at. It's just hard to get into the schools right now. Yeah, yeah. well, that's very true. you got to have a startup, uh, you know, program. And then once they get established, then it can just continue year after year, you know, as the children grow and the uh, science teachers, if you will, or those in, in, in involved in those school gardens, 
can recruit and get more children involved in learning how to produce their own food. So just in kind of wrapping all this up, talk about, again, the importance of today, having your livestock show here. It, it would have been, you know, heartbreaking for these kids if the state of Arkansas or the county had said, we're just not able to have the show because they worked so hard to prepare for it. So even though you're working on a much reduced scale here today, having these shows is very, very important. And again, hopefully next year we'll be back to normal. It is a very important year to continue and support the kids to let them know that their project work is not unseen or unappreciated. I started off in 4-H as a kid myself. I showed at this fair as a little one. Now, my brothers did the market steers. I did a heifer, and I didn't have a clue what I was doing, but I was here. I did much more of the uh, canning and the arts and crafts, but I did actually show in the livestock show here years, many many years ago. So I understand the importance of what the kids learn and how much they invest with their time and their money and how much the fair board here supports, how much Farm Bureau, our local county office and our fair board, our Farm Bureau board are huge supporters of the kids and our 4-H program. And we are truly appreciative of all the support the community provides for our youth. I heard earlier today that this fair, and I have, it's stunned me. I guess they go back more than a century. This this county fair here in Saline County is more than 100 years old. Now, I don't go back that far. I didn't say you did. I don't go, I'm close, <laughs> but I don't go that far. I didn't say you did, Chris. But the fair itself has been here in Benton for more than 100 years. My grandmother actually was a home demonstration uh, member, and wow. she worked in the tent um, in the fair kitchen with the, what today we call the Extension Homemakers. Mm-hmm. So I really do come from a local Farm Bureau and cooperative extension family like I said my grandmother was a home demonstration member my mother was an extension homemaker member my brothers uh, were 4-H members along with myself my dad served on the farm bureau board and on uh, the county extension council years ago so I mean it's something that I have grown up learning and knowing the importance and it's it's just really important to keep it going even though it's a hybrid this year and it's a little different it's still important for the kids to have our support and encouragement and yeah to keep it going more than 100 years. And we'll see, hopefully, years down the road, I mean, you know, when they go through high school, get out of college, many of these young people, I could see some of these young people that showed the steers and the heifer a minute ago, just, you know, one generation after another, you know, growing up and and having their own, you know, livestock operation and going into animal agriculture. Well, and even if they just keep the animals on their small farms, then they know what their animals have eaten. They know what um, they have... um, taken to, to grow up to um, harvesting now instead of slaughter. Um, I always think that's kind of interesting that we don't slaughter our meat now, we harvest it. But uh, from farm to table, they know exactly the importance, whether it's the poultry with the, the fresh eggs, the milk with the dairy animals, or the, the production of the beef cattle. So it's important, even if it's a small operation, they know that they can provide food for themselves and their family. No question. We've got to have this. These are, I'm sure there are several multi-generational families represented here today. Uh, and so it's important we keep the next generation, you know, and grow them up into this so we'll continue to have an abundant food supply, right? I completely agree. It is about the multi-generation. And then if you don't grow up with this culture, it's important that we reach out to new people and bring them in also. Because we, I mean, it's just us if we don't recruit new ones. So that's why it's so important to reach out to the school youth, to our community youth. And it's been a challenge this year to um, connect with kids that want to participate in the 4-H program because we are virtual and it is so different. But we're doing it. We're trying. We're a little slower. We're a little smaller, but we're doing it. So... Well, people want to know the farmers who produce their food. We've uh, been promoting that for several years now. Know your farmer, know your food. And it just gives the urban consumer, the non-farm consumer, confidence in knowing, you know, how that food is produced and grown. Uh, all of these animals are, are taken care of very humanely, and, uh, and it's just a wonderful lifestyle, and we'd be lost without it. That is so true. And I have to brag just for a minute about one of our 4-H youth. Um, she won the state dairy recipe contest. So Farm Bureau really does support our kids um, in their program area, in their project area, and they are able, even in this pandemic year, it was a virtual competition, but we we had our virtual county competition. She went on to the state virtual competition. So we truly appreciate Farm Bureau's support in this ever-changing climate. The kids are still being reached and supported, and we're so appreciative of that. And I did have to kind of brag about our state dairy winner. Yes, you did. I'm glad you mentioned that and brought that up right here from Saline County. 
Well, Farm Bureau, as you know, we're partners with the Division of Agriculture and the Extension Service. We're all in, one, we're all in this together uh, to promote our state's largest industry. And thank you, ladies, for what you do and for being here today and, and having another successful event. Thank you so much for helping us make that happen. We truly appreciate it. Been talking to Chris Bolton, the staff chair of the Saline County Cooperative Extension Service, and Megan Malden, the 4-H agent here in Saline County, and Molly Wright, who is the fair president, uh, the county fair president here in Saline County on this edition of Arkansas AgCast. Next, Greg Patterson learns about the Northwest Arkansas Land Trust. He talks to Susan Kohler, Farmland Preservation Manager for the Trust, as well as Janet Bachman and Jim Lukens of Washington County, who have preserved their farm through the Trust program. This is Greg Patterson with Arkansas Farm Bureau, and on this edition of Arkansas AgCast, we've got three guests today. We're going to talk with Susan Kohler. She is the Farmland Preservation Manager for the Northwest Arkansas Land Trust. We're also going to talk with a couple of uh, farmers. Janet Bachman at Riverbend Garden. She farms an acre and a half on property that she has. And then Jim Lukens, who's retired, he's from a, a, had a career in nonprofits and sustainable agriculture. And welcome to the three of you, Susan, Janet, and Jim. Thank you, Greg. Okay, Susan, let's start with you in the Northwest Arkansas Land Trust. What is it and what is farmland preservation up in Northwest Arkansas? The Northwest Arkansas Land Trust is a nonprofit organization. We were founded in 2003. We are dedicated to this area of Northwest Arkansas, which is 13 counties, but we primarily work in Benton and Washington County. We're a non-governmental agency, but we do work with a lot of, uh, you know, local governments and municipalities, and we work with landowners voluntarily to conserve their property. Um, our mission is to um, enhance um, the quality of life in Northwest Arkansas through the permanent protection of land. Now, um, Northwest Arkansas, as most Arkansans know, has a tremendous amount of population growth going on there. So, so Susan, tell us a little more about the, the farmland preservation part. Why is it important to preserve farmland in northwest Arkansas? We have been working with farmland owners um, since the beginning, and we have several properties, um, you know, similarly to Jim and, um, and Janet's. That are, that are farms, some are, are more retired at this point, um, where Jim and Janice is maintained more of a working farm status. But we recognize the need to, you know, grow more local food, and our, we are part of the Northwest Arkansas Food Systems Initiative that is being led by the Walton Family Foundation, and it includes the University of Arkansas the Food Conservancy, which is developing more local market opportunities for growers, and then ourselves in Northwest Arkansas Land Trust. So we've developed some more tools to help farm landowners understand conservation options. Um, we're really excited, as, as you said, because there is such interest in our area, and we've been you know, blessed with the potential of this growth, but we need to manage that in a responsible way and in a thoughtful way um, and to ensure that, um, you know, we are able to grow the local food system to, to meet the current demand and then the future demand of, of additional residents in our community. Now, Janet, tell us about um, your farm specifically. You're, you're actually farming an acre and a half, and, and you're involved in the Fayetteville Farmers Market. So how long have you been farming, and what do you farm? Well, Greg, yes, um, I've been involved in growing to sell at the Fayetteville Farmer's Market for 26 years. I'm, I'm getting old. <laughs> I, grew up in, I grew up on a small farm in Iowa, and I always felt like specialty crops, like vegetables and uh, small fruits, strawberries, whatever, were one way for person with a small amount of acres to make a living. Um, 
But like Jim, my husband, I'm also retired from working a number of years for nonprofit organizations and other for-profit companies in the area of agriculture, not always sustainable agriculture, but in the last times when I was working, sustainable agriculture. Okay, so I got to meet in the last uh, job I had with many farmers around the Mid-South who were growing a diversity of crops. And I thought, this is what I want to do when I retire from earning a salary. And um, we had bought this place near Fayetteville. And um, there is nice soil. The river, West Fork of the White River runs through it. So there's some nice soil. I started going to sell at the Fayetteville Farmer's Market because it was already established and thriving. Right. I also sell to a few restaurants and florists. So my flower year starts with daffodils. Peonies are a big crop for me. Um, Later, sunflowers, zinnias, tuberoses, other... um, and um, after frost, I take a break. So, so what about um, vegetables that you're growing? Are you are you involved heavily in vegetable growing? And and uh, what kind of berries do you grow? The vegetables I grow depend usually on what makes it. But I I grow lettuce mixes, uh, spinach. Uh, their greens, cherry tomatoes are a specialty for me, all different colors. Uh, peppers, I like to grow peppers because they're beautiful. And uh, some of the hot peppers, I'm, if I don't sell them fresh, I make hot pepper jelly. Which is oh, wow. wow. At the farmer's market, yes. Uh, gooseberries are my only fruit crop at the Current time, they're natives, you know. Gooseberries are a native plant, so they do well. And uh, not fun to pick, they're thorny. But But strawberries are too much work. Love them, but I go enough for ourselves not to sell. All right, so so just on a selfish point of view from from me, um, what do you use gooseberries for? Because I'm already envisioning making a pie. Gooseberry pie is, I think, the traditional use of gooseberries. Uh, my mom made it uh, with a little egg and stuff to take the tartness out. Uh, I make wine with them. And make oh, okay. Them. And mom also made jelly, gooseberry jelly. It's beautiful. Believe it oh, or not, wow. They're picked green, and yeah. when, when they're made into jelly, it's red. Interesting. Huh. Jim, you've also uh, had a career uh, like Janet in, in agriculture. And uh, tell us what inspired you and Janet to get involved where you wanted to preserve the agriculture land on the farm. Yeah, that's right, Greg. Um, I grew up in, in Kansas and, uh, uh, grew up there on the farm, and then uh, after my dad was killed in a tractor accident, I moved back to the farm for several years. Uh, I was inspired by him, by my dad. He was a conservation-minded uh, farmer, but that was before uh, the the uh, the big stress on land from the ag practices really came into play. And so I would say I was inspired by him and then learned uh, through a year about the years how uh, being more mindful of long-term care of the soil uh, was important. And that's what got me headed into uh, into the sustainable agriculture field. 
the notion of preservation uh, really came uh, full bore onto me as after Jan and I moved to the farm there uh, on the White River, I observed the river taking our land. And uh, I remember one year, it was a wet spring and repeated rains, and we lost 30 feet of bank along one portion of the river. And which is, which is common, common in farming, regardless of whether it's a small farm or a large farm, you run into these situations where you have tremendous soil erosion uh, during flooding events. So you, you saw your land just washing off down the west fork of the White River. Yes, that, that's right. And uh, about that same time, the uh, um, environmental educate or the environmental protection agency had recognized the White River as um, uh, when I can say the name. Impaired. They recognized the, the White River as an impaired stream because of sediment in the, in the stream bed, which was sure. suffocating fish eggs. And sure. Beaver Lake was recognizing that the lake was uh, filling in with sediment from the lake, from the rivers. And, and for mm -hmm. our listeners out there, you're talking about water supply for Northwest Arkansas when you start talking about the White River, its branches, and Beaver Lake. Yes, that's correct. That's correct. And a, uh, a lengthy study of the White River discovered that it was stream bank erosion was the primary source of the sediments in the river. And um, an organization, the uh, Watershed Conservation Resource Center, was established to start stabilizing the stream beds and uh, the funders that they rounded up to fund that project uh, insisted that the stream bed or the banks of that stream that was restored would be put in an easement, would be protected by an easement, and that would make any um, practices, land practices along that river be maintained even after we, the original landowners um, at the time of that uh, restoration, were gone. So that's what got us in, in touch with the Northwest Arkansas Land Trust. That was the, the initial thing that got us into the land trust. There was a, well, that, that, that's fascinating because um, obviously this is all tying into your career in sustainable agriculture, the fact that your father in, early in his farming career realized the necessity of conservation. I guess the term sustainable agriculture probably didn't even exist back then. Uh, it's, it's common, you know, in our language today. But uh, so, so you really carried out um, uh, your father's uh, thoughtful legacies in regards to what sustainable agriculture is and made a career of it. That's pretty fascinating. Yeah, that's, that's right, Greg. And then there, there was a second tie thing that um, motive that brought us back to the land press. The original easement we got was just along the riverbank. And, uh, but uh, Janet, you want to say something about the second motive? Well, um, I think you mentioned, Greg, that Northwest Arkansas population is increasing rapidly. And our little farm is only eight miles from downtown Fayetteville. Wow. County Road runs through it, um, popular road for traffic. And uh, we were concerned, we're concerned that with the population increase, there's going to be increasing demand for non-farm or non-native habitat uses of this land. So we worked with the 
with this Arkansas Land Trust to come up with a plan to protect our entire acreage, 127 acres from development. And um, this was really good to work with them because there's a number of uses that we have for that acreage. For instance, about half of the land is a wooded, rocky hillside. Well, we're not using that for livestock or or uh, tillage. It won't be tilled, no livestock, and uh, limited cutting of trees. Mm-hmm. The, the area that I use for the garden is allowed to be tilled, but that's a very small amount. And then other acreage is designated as pasture or or homestead. So there's right. Few acres right around the house that uh, that building, and uh, no other buildings are allowed. So it was right thing to do in our minds to put on a conservation easement so that when we sell the place, that easement stays there and the uses continue. One of the things about the process of working. Uh, with the land trust to come up with that easement, it's really tailored to us. Right. The, uh, the land trust has a, a template that they can start with. If you just like what they put down, then, then it's easy. But if you, uh, one of the things that we were particularly concerned about was how can we protect things, but still allow for someone to do um, projects or practices on a piece of land that are compliant with the mission of the land trust and with our desires, but different than anything we'd ever thought of. So we wanted the the land to continue to be uh, a working, or at least possible to be working if someone wanted to just let it all go to nature, that would be fine, but they wanted to make um, money off of it, they could, just as long as it's in compliance with uh, the um, sort of desires of the maintaining the integrity of the property. So so uh, to, to give the listeners an idea of, of, of how you're setting this up, Someone in the future could come in, let's say, and I'll just give give a general example, and let's say they they uh, uh, want to pasture um, some some animals. They can do that um, based on how things have been set up. Or if somebody wants to come in and, and put some um, uh, tunnel greenhouses and grow some strawberries, you know, high tunnels or something like that, there's a piece of the property where that could possibly happen. So so you have options that are still there that tie into agriculture, and you've protected that agriculture component of the land. Exactly, exactly. And we have uh, differing zones on the land, some depending on their uh, the, the uh, nature of the slope and the soil and such that uh, some are more restricted than others because sure. they're more fragile. But uh, if someone wanted to come in with an idea that we never had even dreamed of, they're going to make a, a tours farm, they could do that as long as it's protecting the, the integrity of the, of the place. Exactly. That, that sounds great. Uh, Susan... People are more familiar with the fact of of conservation and land trust to protect, let's say, wildlife habitat. I think think Jim and Janet have already said they've done some of that as well with the property, and and that's traditionally what people think. But but you're trying to conserve working ag lands and maintaining the ability for those lands to be used for agriculture. How difficult is that? Craig, you're absolutely right. And I'll just point out, as as you said, some of the things that we look at 
um, when we evaluate a, the conservation value of a property is we look at the community benefits and the environmental benefits. And clean drinking water is a big piece of that. We work Absolutely. with you know, Beaver Water and with Illinois River and with other partners, wildlife habitat and biodiversity. Um, recreation is a, is a factor also. You know, some of these properties will remain um, private and that's fine, but others can become public access, like Wilson Springs in Fayetteville was just recently opened, and we have mm -hmm. more properties that will be open to the public soon. And then the fourth in, you know, the, what we're talking about today is local food and farms. And it is difficult um, for a number of reasons because um, there's a lot to consider for the farmland owners, um, possible succession or heirs, land prices, given that they have, you know, continued to escalate and ride in this area, um, you know, is a factor for people to consider. So we've got these new tools, including NWA FarmLink, which is a free service um, and basically a website, but in addition provides access to resources and consultations to help farmland owners better understand their options. And conservation um, does not have to be a part of participating in FarmLink, but we certainly provide landowners with that information. And one of the things that's wonderful about taking those steps is that because of those restrictions, the value of the land becomes more traditionally what it would be at an agricultural value. So you don't have the inflation of the development. And it's much more affordable for a new farmer. And um, I don't want to put Jim and Janet on the spot, but when you talk about the future, you know, it's possible that a new farmer would be able to come in and make a viable farm business because of the efforts that they've taken. Um, sure, and that could, sure. that could work within a family, too, if they did have heirs. So um, we're also exciting. Uh, we're adding some new elements that will provide additional access and support to farmers, whether they're established and looking to expand or, you know, young and, and, and ready to take that step to, uh, you know, get access to land. We're going to have some new program components where there will be possibly shared infrastructure and equipment and then additional support to navigate like a lease-to-own um, situation. So sure. Sure. So some of the things that we're doing to make it easier uh, for people to consider conserving farmland. Well, uh, another factor, Arkansas Farm Bureau has a component called Young Farmers and Ranchers that are uh, the younger folks within the organization, I think up to 35 uh, years old. And, and one of the things that they have told us consistently is the biggest impediment to either them entering into agriculture or expanding their agriculture is access to land. It's almost like if you don't inherit it, you can't afford it. Um, you know, those types of things. So, so I, I, I got to say both Jim and Janet must have a level of, of comfort in knowing that they've provided ag land for other people to come on to later if that's their choice and and continue agriculture and make it affordable to others. Well put, Greg. Well, it sounds to me uh, like you guys really have enjoyed it. Janet, you remind me of someone who likes to get dirt under their fingernails, is not afraid to do that. And, uh, I appreciate um, both Janet and Jim and Susan being on this edition of Arkansas AgCast. Is there anything that I've missed here um, that you wanted to uh, tell our audience? I think you've covered it well, Greg. One other question, Jim, pops into my head. How easy is it to work with a land trust? The process that we went through with them was um, long, and the part that was hard was us figuring out what exactly we wanted. We thought we wanted, but then when we came to realize how many details had to be worked in, 
think it through. The, the thing I'm thinking about here, Jim, is it's probably no different than sitting down with a contractor and trying to figure out how to build your house and what you want. That's right. That's right. The contractor can be as pleasant as possible. The folks here at the Land Trust were very uh, accommodating, and they were patient, and they had great insights to bring to us. But at the final end, we had the problems with us. That's where the hard work was. Well, that sounds great. Susan, if anyone listening is interested in exploring a, a uh, farmland um, uh, easement of some sort or working with the Northwest Arkansas Land Trust, how do they contact you all? Is there a website or a phone number or anything that people could get a hold of you? Absolutely. So they can call 479-966-4666. Run that by can, me again. Yes. 479-966-4666. Okay. And you can visit our website, you know, nwalandtrust.org or, or nwafarmlink.org. And, you know, we, we do an individual site visit and individual consultations. It's all free initially. Um, of course, we do want to look at the conservation value of the property. There can be stewardship costs associated with the easement process and, the, and a, or a land donation. However, we just really want to um, make people feel comfortable that there are other programs out there that can help um, ease some of that, uh, the stewardship funding. And so we would always be looking for types of partners that could help us to cover that. Janet and Jim, thank you so much. It's always great. The funnest part of my job is when I talk with farmers who are out there working the land. Appreciate you joining us on Arkansas AgCast. Susan, thank you so much. Appreciate thank it. You, Greg. Thank you, Greg. Finally, September is National Suicide Prevention Month, so Keith Sutton talked to Rebecca Simon with the University of Arkansas Cooperative Extension Service about signs of depression to watch for, steps to help someone in emotional pain, and resources for people who need assistance. Welcome, I'm Keith Sutton with Arkansas Farm Bureau, and today my guest is once again Rebecca Simon, who is Program Coordinator with the University of Arkansas Division of Agriculture Cooperative Extension Service. Welcome to AgCast again, Rebecca. We appreciate you coming back. Thanks for having me. Well, we're kind of continuing a talk we had last time. We started uh, talking about uh, how to cope with stress if you're a farmer. This is uh, National Suicide Prevention Month. And it's a difficult topic to talk about, but it's an important topic. Uh, we just uh, had a survey done last year at Farm Bureau, and it says that the overwhelming majority of farmers and farm workers say financial issues, farm or business problems, and fear of losing their farm negatively impact their mental health. So that's a serious deal and we want to look, let's start by talking about maybe some of the warning signs uh, that we need to look at in others so we'll know uh, when somebody's maybe experiencing some problems. So if a person talks about being a burden to others, maybe feeling trapped, they may say that they're experiencing unbearable pain, have no reason to live. You might hear I'm worth more not here than I am alive. Those are some things that you might hear someone talk about, but then specific behaviors to look out for would be increased use of drugs or alcohol. Yes. They may be withdrawing from activities. You may notice a decline in their farm, in their appearance. Um, they may isolate from family and friends. You might also notice that they're giving away prized possessions or calling people to say goodbye. It's, it's very serious when we see those signs and people will want to know, of course, what kind of action can I take if some of those signs appear in one of my friends or loved ones who's, who's on the farm. 
So there's five action steps. And the first one would be to ask. So it's maybe a tough question, but asking someone, are you thinking about harming yourself, ending your life, killing yourself? Um, keep them safe. So if they do admit that they are, you want to, you know, take away any lethal objects that they may have, call 911, get them to someone who can help them. Um, be there is the third action step. So listening carefully for what their needs are, what they're experiencing, help them connect, um, save the National Suicide Prevention Hotline to your phone. Um, again, calling 911, getting with a healthcare professional, close friend, that type of thing. Um, and then staying connected. So research shows that um, the number of suicide deaths have gone down when someone follows up with an at-risk person. So staying in touch after the crisis and, you know, or after they've been discharged from care is important. It's been a really tough year this year and it, it's maybe, uh, it's sad, but probably some people uh, are, are listening now and are aware of some of those situations like that and they do want to help. And it's hard to talk about this at length in such a short video that we can do here, but we can direct people to some more resources. Uh, I know, for example, one very good resource at our American Farm Bureau, their website, which is FB, Farm Bureau, FB.org. Uh, if folks go there and click on the program tab, uh, they can go down and find a farm state of mind. And there's a lot of good resource material there. Uh, I know you looked at that uh, recently, yeah. saw that. Uh, and there's other places too. Let's talk about where folks can go for more help. Well, you've got the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline and that's gonna be 1-800-273-TALK and that's 8255. They also have a website. Arkansas has a crisis center, and that is 1-888-274-7472. But then there's also a crisis text line that you can that you can reach out to, and that is you would text 741-741. 741-741. It's that easy just to send a text to get some help. And we want to encourage everybody out there if you see some of the warning signs that you outlined and uh, need some help, uh, take those steps. Please uh, do that and do it as soon as you can. Uh, we don't want to uh, see any of our farmers have these types of problems, but they happen and, and we need to reach out and try to help. Yes. Thank you, Rebecca, for taking time today to talk with us again. It's a, it's a hard topic to talk about, but hopefully this maybe will help somebody that needs to reach out and get help. Thank you very much. Thanks, Keith. See you soon. That's it for another Arkansas AgCast. We'll be back next week with more interviews and news about Arkansas agriculture.